Good morning, familia. Um, can you do me a favor? Can you please stand for the reading of God's word? May I move this to the side? If you guys don't mind. Uh, today we're going to read him from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not uh, experience death. He could not be found because God has taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. How about if we read verse 6 together? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Lord, please speak uh, to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, Amen. you may be seated. Uh, how are we doing, familia? All right, so as you heard, once again, we are starting a new series today based on uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're going to spend about seven weeks in one chapter alone, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, for those of you uh, that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors uh, here. And if you're visiting for the first time, I, I just want to welcome you and let you know that we are here to serve you. Uh, right at the end of the service, we're going to have a team here in the front um, to pray for you, if that's what you need, uh, to answer questions, if that's what you need. I'm going to spend a few minute, minutes here in the front as well, if you have comments or questions for me. As, longer, uh, as long as they are positive, please come to the front. Uh, if they're not positive, just stay out there. Just kidding. No, I'm not. Stay out there. Um, we are... No, just kidding. I think that this series is a, is a very important series um, because we are all people of faith. Like everyone is, is a person, people of faith. What we want to do with uh, this series is actually explain the Christian faith. See, the reason why I say that everyone is people of faith is because at the end of the day, it is impossible to be a human being without exercise, exercising faith. So, for example, there's a group of people that uh, their faith uh, leads them to believe that, uh, that there's a higher power out there somewhere. That it might not be a personal God or anything like that, but they believe that there's something out there, and that's what they believe. That's faith. That's the object of their faith. There's another group of people um, that uh, have placed their faith in humanity, right? So, the understanding is that uh, if we come together and we unify forces, we can change this world. We call that humanism, 
right? Um, there's another group of people that maybe they don't have faith in humanity, but they have much faith in themselves. They think that they have the power to make things happen. But none of those three things is actually a description of the Christian faith. The Christian faith describes faith as God and God alone. He is the object of, of our faith. He is the reason why we exist. He is the only person that can actually sustain us. It is Him and Him alone. That's what we want to talk about. And today from this text, uh, only the first six verses that we just read, we learn four things about faith. Number one is that faith is confidence. Number two, that faith is understanding. Number three, that faith is relationship. And number four, that faith is reconciliation. Can you do me a favor, please? Can you look at the person next to you and ask the question, do you know what faith is? Go ahead. All right, now respond. No, don't respond because that's going to be really awkward. You know why? Because if what I say goes contrary to what you just said, it's going to be really awkward for you. Right? So this is what I want us to do. We're going to spend uh, about two hours in these four points. Half an hour per point. Let's talk about the first one. Faith is confidence. And let's go straight to the text. In verse 1, it says that we Christians... Faith is, for us Christians, faith is confidence. And you see it right there at the beginning? Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this is what is interesting about the word confidence there, that it's a noun. It communicates the idea of firmness. It tells you that the Christian faith is about believing that you are standing in something firm, kind of a foundation. The word confidence could be a synonym of the word foundation. We have confidence, if you are a Christian, because we have a firm foundation. That's what the author says. And if you notice, by that word alone, you know that confidence is actually an experience. It's something that we, that, that we say is concrete and authentic. It's not just this idea. It's not an ob a subjective idea. For Christians, confidence, faith is confidence because it's something concrete. The question is why? Why is it that a believer could say, I can trust with full confidence in God? Well, the answer is really simple. Actually, the text tells you that the, the reason why we have full confidence is because who God is and what he says he's going to do. This is, the, this is the thing. That's what I'm saying, that this is not a subjective thing. Because if we believe that God exists, as one of the texts, one of the verses shows you, and we believe that God is powerful and eternal and good and faithful, when we say that we believe in God, then we are saying that if God promises something, he's going to do it. That whenever God says that he's going to do something, he will do it. Because everything God says flows out of his character. 
And if God is good and faithful and holy, then everything he says must be true. That's why the object of our, of our faith is God. We trust in his unstoppable and reliable promises. That's why the author uses the word hope and assurance right after the word confidence. I think I have explained this before, but the word hope is never wishful thinking in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is always a for sure thing. When we say that we trust that God promised something and he's going to do it, we are saying that that's a for sure thing. The word assurance is the same word that we use for conviction. It's about being able to, to embrace something even though you cannot see it just yet. Once again, the foundation of our faith is not just something subjective. Is that we know that when God says that he's going to do something, he's going to do something. Listen, we might not like his timing, and we might not like the things, how he does things, but at the end of the day, we know that he never lies, that he's never early and he's never late. That he does how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it, but that is always a for sure thing. The object of our faith is God, his promises, his plans, his character, and his power. Now, I, I need to pause here for a second. Because if that is true, and I think it is, because the Bible tells me that it is, then we have to make a distinction between having faith in faith and faith in God. Or we have to make a distinction between having faith in God and having faith in God plus something else. Let me explain these two terms really quick. Um, let me tell you why there's a difference between having faith in faith and faith in God. And this is simply, I'm saying this because this is the kind of stuff I hear all the time. So we have a whole group of people within um, the Christian world, if you will, uh, known as the prosperity gospel people, that tell you that if you, want to, if you want things to go right for you, you better exercise hardcore faith. And they tell you that if sometimes things go wrong for you, it's because you didn't have enough faith. So at the end of the day, they're telling you, if you want God to move, have a lot of faith. But I want you to pay attention to that statement really quick, because if that is true and it's not, then the object of our faith is not God. It's us. So if you're struggling, or if you know somebody that is struggling, and you tell them, you know, all you have to do is have more faith, what does that mean? Try harder? Is that what it means? <laughs> you see, there's a difference between having faith in faith and faith in God. There's a huge difference. 
Either I trust myself and I'm what, what I can produce, or I trust him and who he is. And there's also a difference between having faith in God and having faith plus something else. This is what I mean. There are so many times in your life in which you are struggling or experiencing pain and, and you're run of, running out of patience and you experience difficult situations and life is pressing you hard. And there's, there's this tendency inside of you to believe that there's something you can do, listen up, to help God a little bit. Maybe, maybe I could do something to give God a hand. Maybe there's something I could do. Maybe there's something I could do. Maybe a technique. Maybe a program. Maybe a spiritual discipline. Maybe just good behavior. Maybe just something that if I do, I know I could help God. And the reason why I can talk about this with full confidence is because that's me every Sunday. So I've been reading lately a lot because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to read about pastors every now and then. And this week I was actually being confronted because I'm, 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 I'm reading about the role of preaching in the Christian church. Um, and listen, as a preacher, I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. I believe that people can only change by the proclamation of the gospel. I believe that every time we open the Bible, read the Bible, explain the Bible, and apply the Bible, something happens, even if I can see anything happening. I believe that every time we gather as believers and we elevate this beautiful and amazing perfect book, something happens. Even if people are falling asleep like right now. Even if people get distracted, I don't think that people change in any other way but through the word of God. And yet, every Sunday, I feel that I, I, I could do something different. I could do something better. Maybe if I lose this or I do this or maybe if we create this and then at the end of the day, God always tells me the same thing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon used to say that the word is kind of a lion in a cage. All you have to do is open it and let it eat people alive. I believe that's true. And yet, I think that sometimes I could help God. Now, the reason why I'm using my example is, number one, to show you that I'm just another sinner, just like you. And to tell you that this is part of the human life. We, we claim to have God as the object of our faith, and yet inside we struggle so much. Our confidence is not the intensity of your faith. Our confidence is God and what he says he's going to do. 
Our confidence is not us um, knowing more or trying better or trying harder. Our confidence is his character, his promises, his power, his faithfulness. Our confidence is his love. That's why we say that we have faith in God. Do you have that kind of faith? Or is it, or are you just like me? And something tells me that we all struggle with the same thing. Faith is confidence. Number two, faith is understanding. And with this one, I want to answer the question because um, if this is a reality, if, if in a, even if you are a Christian and you have been a Christian for so many years, the reason why we continue to struggle uh, with, with things of faith, maybe, maybe, just maybe, is because we need to understand more. Now look at here in verse 3. It says that by faith we understand. Can you say understand, please? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Now, this is what is interesting about the word understand. That is not just something that you do up here. Like, oh, I get it. The word understand has this, in the original, has this, this idea that you stop to consider something well. It's when you reflect on something until you see the evidences and you convince yourself of what you are understanding right there and then. It's almost the word understand is a synonym of the word meditation. It's when you just grab something and think about it and think about it and think about it. It's an amazing word. And notice here that in verse 6, there's another word that has a very similar meaning, and it's the word seek him. The Bible says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the definition of the word seek right there is very similar. It's to carefully search, seeking to learn. Now, the reason why I'm saying this it's because the Christian faith is not an ignorant faith. It's a thinking faith. And what I find really interesting is that that definition of faith in the Bible goes contrary to what people outside the Christian faith thinks about faith. You know, the popular culture says, and I'm quoting this one, that faith is complete trust or confidence in something or someone. That sounds good. But look at the second part. It's a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of our religion. Notice this. Based on a spiritual apprehension rather than proof. And that's when I say, man, these people have never read, read the Bible. There's nothing farther from the truth. The Christian faith is an informed faith. It's a thinking faith. And I want to prove it to you. I'm going to give you two examples. One from the context of the book of Hebrews. And the second one from Abel. 
Look, look at the context. Why? This is one of those things in which the context is, changes completely uh, the way you, sh- you view a verse. Um, when the author of Hebrews wrote this letter, he's writing to a group of Christians that are being abused by non-Christians, and they're losing their properties, and they're losing freedom, and many of them are being executed. They were experiencing such a persecution that some of them are starting to wonder if they made the wrong decision. Now, do not judge these people because you and I have gone through the same thing when things get complicated. Is Jesus worthy? What I find amazing, though, is that if I ask myself, what, what would I tell these people? Should I give them words of encouragement? Should I tell them, you know, maybe going back to the thing, maybe I should give them a few techniques. Maybe they should breathe 10 times in a row and maybe try to think about beautiful things and positive things and ignore all the ugly stuff and focus on the beautiful and perfect things. (laughs) But that's not what the author says, though. And that's not what the author does. This is kind of what I was explaining in communion. The book of Hebrews has 13 chapters. And only the last chapter and a half of the book of Hebrews, you find practical applications. Pay attention here, people. There's only one and a half chapters out of 13 that the author gives these suffering people practical applications. For 11 and a half chapters, what he does is he elevates Jesus. He talks about Jesus. He explains how Jesus is amazing and perfect. That's where he comes. He's a better salvation, better hope, better covenant, better promises, better sacrifice, better future, better resurrection, better word. For 11 and a half chapters. If I'm reading that and I'm suffering, all I want to know is give me something good. Give me something that is going to help me cope with suffering. But see, God knows better. Because in the midst of a difficult life, there's nothing wrong with practical things. They don't sustain you. They're not enough. You need a sure foundation. By chapter 12, he tells these suffering people, run with perseverance, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because at the end of the day, anything that we do practical is good, but it's not enough. The only thing that sustains you, the only thing that gives you peace and security, the only thing that is powerful enough is a better, bigger, and more powerful image of who God is in Jesus Christ. So in the midst of your struggles, you don't stop thinking. You go deeper. And read more and study more and pray more. Because at the end of the day, that is the only thing that will keep you alive. 
And the second example is Abel. And this is, I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this guy, but um, if you want to read it, Genesis chapter 4, but I want to explain it to you really well. Because in verse number 4, it says that Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. And just for the sake of those of you that might not be familiar with the story, this is the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, right? God requires a gift or an offering for, from both of them. Cain brings to God some fruits as an offering. Abel brings God a sacrificed animal as an offering. God likes Abel's gift, but he doesn't like Cain's gift. Therefore, Cain gets angry with God and eventually kills his brother. That's a sad story, which is so interesting because this is a story of a faithful man that died. I don't know how the prosperity gospel explains that one. But this is the idea. Abel understood something that Cain didn't. Abel believed something that Cain didn't. And this is the idea. This story comes in Genesis chapter 4. The fall, when sin enters the world, comes in Genesis chapter 3. By now, Abel knows that he's a sinful person. And he knows that God is a holy God. When God asks them to bring a gift, Abel knows that the only way a sinful person could have interaction and a relationship with a holy God if, if, if there's a sacrifice in between them two. That is the only way to approach God. He knows that. He knows that he's a sinful man. He knows that he doesn't deserve anything from God. He understands that the only way into the presence of God Almighty is through a blood sacrifice. It's an act of repentance, you know. Cain, on the other hand, brought fruit, which is a thanksgiving offering in the Old Testament. And in a way, Cain thought that he was not as bad. Maybe, maybe that he was good, good enough to earn his position before God, good enough to have access to the presence of God. And this is the difference between these two characters. Abel repented of his sin, and Cain had to repent of his righteousness. You know what made the difference between these two brothers? They understood. One was ignorant and the other one understood. You know, there's a couple of verses in the New Testament, one in Luke chapter 17, in which the disciples are asking Jesus to increase their faith. And there's another example in Mark chapter 9 in which this father is approaching Jesus, asking Jesus to heal his son. And then he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I hear people abusing those verses all the time. Because I'm convinced 
that what the disciples were praying for and what this father was praying for not was a greater intensity of faith. They're asking Jesus to give him a bigger, better, and more powerful image of who God is, enough to trust and enough to rest. The better we understand, the bigger he is to us. The bigger he is to us, the more beautiful he becomes to us. The more beautiful he becomes to us, the more I treasure him in my heart. The more I treasure him in my heart, the more I treasure him enough to rest and trust him. Even when things go wrong. Even when things go wrong. See, faith is confidence, but faith is also understanding. Number three, faith is a relationship. And we get this from Enoch. Look at here in verse 5. He describes Enoch as a man of faith that pleased God. And in verse 6, that word please appears in it again. And it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, what is beautiful about the word please is that it can also be translated as the, as the word pleasure or delight. And it tells you that God saw the life of Enoch and was delighted in him. That's, can you imagine when we pass away and what they put in our little tombstone is he pleased God. That would be amazing. So the question is, what is it that Enoch understood that we need to understand today? What is it that Enoch believed that we need to believe today? Well, so simple. Genesis chapter 5, for those of you that want to read it. This is what is interesting about Enoch. He was a nobody, you know? This, This is the way I would describe it. He will be like an immigrant... With zero English, no degrees, no pedigree, ignored by everyone. That would be Enoch. A nobody. And the reason why I say that he's a nobody is because there are only seven verses in which his name is mentioned. Don't worry, I'm not going to fall. There are only seven verses in which his name is mentioned. But only four verses describe something about him. And he tells us that all his relatives lived about 900 years. But Enoch only lived 365 years because God took him with him. Meaning that this is not a guy of great accomplishments, people. No great degrees, no big land, no nothing. He only lived 365 years. He doesn't tell us anything about his family, his wife, his kids. He's, nothing, he's got nothing to brag about except one thing. Genesis says that he walked faithfully with God. That's all we know about him. That he walked faithfully with God. And the word walk, the first time it appears in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, in which it says that God walked in the garden. And that he walked with Adam and Eve. 
And scholars all agree in saying that the word walk there means that God had intimacy and fellowship with human beings prior to the fall. Which means then, is that what Enoch learned is that a good, faithful life, a life of faith, is to have intimacy and fellowship with God. That there's nothing more beautiful, more amazing, more fulfilling than you having a personal, intimate relationship with God. This is what Enoch understood. That there's a difference between having an intimate relationship with God and having a transactional relationship with God. Can you see the difference between those two? A personal relationship with God, all you want is Him. You get Him, His heart, His love. He is enough. But in a transactional relationship with God, you only want what He gives you. And what he does for you. And I believe this is the reason why so many people, even after they claim to believe in Jesus, they walked away from him. And I blame the church for that. Maybe not you, another church. <laughs> because we invite people into a relationship with Jesus by telling them that if they come to Jesus, everything is going to be all right. Sounds like a song. We tell people that if they come to Jesus, everything will be awesome. It sounds like a movie. We tell that if they come to Jesus, everything is going to be so amazing, so powerful. But we offer the hand of God, but not his heart. And to walk in intimacy with Jesus is to have God. Is to embrace God and He is enough. This is the beauty of Enoch. He didn't need the accomplishments, he didn't need the properties, he didn't need the reputation, he didn't need the degrees, he didn't need the respect, he didn't need the admiration of people. All he wanted was God, God and God enough. That's faith. In the midst of a culture that is telling you that you got to accomplish more and be greater and be first and be the very best. In the midst of a culture that is telling you that you got to be different and stand out and not be normal. Faith tells you that the best thing we could have is believing him because we get him. Faith is confidence, faith is understanding, and faith is relationship. And lastly, faith is reconciliation. And if you notice that there's a word that appears three times in the text, and it's the word commended. All the people in the Old Testament that placed faith in God was commended for that. Abel was commended, Enoch was commended. You know what's interesting about that word is that the word commended means approved. Means approved. Means that all these people were approved by God. Meaning that when it came, because they have placed their faith in God, 
they didn't have they didn't have to earn anything or prove anything because they were already approved. You know what's interesting? That is the same word that Paul uses to describe justification. The term justification in the New Testament is when we claim to believe that because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have been approved. We have been welcomed. We have been loved. We have been forgiven. And that when God sees the Christian, he sees the Christian through the lenses of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to gain and there's nothing to lose because everything is secure in Jesus. Do you know why the author uses the word commended here three times? To point us to Jesus. The reason why we could have full confidence is because Jesus died and resurrected on your behalf. We know that he secured our future. The reason why we want to have a relationship with God is because of Jesus. Why wouldn't I want to walk in intimacy of the, uh, with the God of my salvation? The reason why I want to know God more is because I want to know the God that gave it all for me. Didn't you do that when you started your relationship with your spouse? When you really love someone, don't you want to know that person more? So here we have this amazing God that commended you, approved you, justified you in Jesus Christ. That's faith. Faith is confidence. Confidence in what Jesus did already. Faith is relationship. Relationship with the God of your salvation. Faith is understanding. It's understanding how much you are loved by God and who are the God of your love. Faith is reconciliation, knowing that there's nothing that could separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's faith. So I'm thinking about all these Christians that are suffering because of Christ. And I guarantee you that they were willing to die because of the God of their salvation. Because they believed what we need to believe today. Because we need to believe, really believe, that Jesus is better. That God is better. Amen? Can we pray? Can you please stand so we can pray together? Lord, we are broken people that believe but want to believe more. We don't want to believe more as an intensity. We want to believe more in you. I pray, Lord, that you make that happen. I pray, Lord, that you speak into our hearts and make Jesus real. I pray, Lord, that we have confidence in who you are and what you did for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I want to invite you to do something. As, as we go through this uh, last uh, musical piece, I, I want you to use this song as a confession. Can you do that? Use this as a confession, and then I come back and I bless you. <laughs>